And we're off back again. That's now it's just my favorite thing. Do you know how much excitement I get as we're about to kick off? And I'm I just know everyone's waiting for it. What makes you think everyone is waiting for it? At least the people that have referenced my and we're off. I'm like the and we're off guy. You are the and we're off guy. I'm going to need to get a, a t-shirt that just says and we're off. Yep. Here we are. Here we are. How's it's it a, going? It's, you know, the sunshine makes me happy. It's deceptive today. It is. Because it's windy and cold outside, but it's sunny. Gosh, did you see, have, have you talked to Colin yet? No. His, the giant tree in his backyard blew over last night. Yeah, apparently we have issues with a, um, like a telephone pole at South Campus. Really? Yeah. Well, I haven't heard that one yet. Now you have. The wind was waking up Gianna last night. Yeah, it was brutal. That sounds like a children's book. <laughs> the wind was waking up Gianna last night. Isn't I should it? write that. People make a lot of money off these like very simple... Children's books? Yeah. Which is kind of impressive. The cow, we've been, Steph every night reads, the cow jumped over the moon or something like that. Very basic. I wish I would have done that. (laughs) It is no Baltazar. Very basic, you know? I feel like there's like a critique there. Like, what's with these children's books writers? What a a crock. Cow jumped over the moon? It's, but I I will say it is kind of my reading material. Yeah. Like I, you know. That is kind of where I'm at. A whole like four page picture book, cows jumping over the moon. Yeah. And then I'm out. You are out. That's it. That is it. Gosh. Okay. I, well, time out. Do you have any shout outs? I want to shout out to the guy who stole my headphones. Oh, that's yes. right. Yes. I can't. A couple nights ago, I was with some friends from the parish at their house. And I forgot to lock my car. And uh, one of the couples walked out and the wife saw a guy in my car. And so he was, and, but I, you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate this. So he was right, rifling through my stuff in my car. I think I had three bucks in like the center console. So he took that. <laughs> and then he went through my like book bag and I am so relieved. So he didn't take my computer, but I'm not that relieved about that. He, he, I mean, I would not have loved it, but I would have been okay. But he left, I had like six books in my book bag and he didn't take them. And I'm so grateful. So shout out to you, whoever you are for not stealing my Balthazar books. Cause there are two of them were Balthazar books and they're long books. One I'm reading right now and one I've finished but the one I finished is like a 500 page book and to go back and reread it and like lose all my underlines and all that, that's, that would be rough. First of all, if I was going to break into a car, I would also, your car, I would also leave those books. Second of all, <laughs> I wouldn't steal them one because I wouldn't read it, wouldn't be interested. But two, those things are like, he'd be running away with like dumbbells hanging onto those <laughs> giant books. Third, you, if he isn't Catholic, I'm, I want to know what he thought. Like in, you carry all your like stuff for sick calls yeah, and, you know, super holy things. But yeah, if he's like a... going through your middle console, like, uh, where's all the cat? What is this? Like, what is all this stuff? Yeah, Thankfully, he didn't take any of that. But like, seriously, if he's not Catholic, he, he was probably so confused. Yeah, maybe. I, I have no idea. Wasn't there. <laughs> I wonder if he was just like, oh, this is weird or yeah. but whatever. And then he found, honestly, though, I, it could have been okay if he stole. Your, you have stuff on your computer, which would not have been good. But then you get a new computer. Yours is, <laughs> yours is kind of working uh, kind of towards his last I'm leg. on that. Yeah. Um, Gosh. You have a shout out? I do. I actually have, after Mass... Um, two very phenomenal encounters, Pam and Fred, who are, gosh, the I, we got, we got to know them through RCA last year. Yep. Um, and they're phenomenal. So that's one. And then Laura, I believe Brodsky, Brodsky, I think Brodsky yeah. and She's um, very sweet. her friend, Carol, they were 
so phenomenal and just fans of the podcast, which is really cool. It really, I mean, I know we joke about it a lot, but it, it really is kind of amazing. Anybody, I mean, we're always blown away. It just seems like real life. You talk to somebody and they're like, oh, on this podcast. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That's right. <laughs> I always, what, what podcast? I always joke every time someone comes up and I'm like, it is so interesting. Like when we talk, I think I genuinely forget that people are actually listening. Like we're just talking into microphones and an awkward conversation. Yeah. But we're super grateful. So thank you for that. Uh, okay. I want to kick off question for you. Circling back. Don't point your finger. I was, it's kind of the whole hand. It's kind, of, it's kind of the whole hand. Um, so circling back to a previous conversation, previous podcast, someone had asked this question, follow up. Um, how would you handle or kind of address? Because uh, they asked me and it was definitely not in my wheelhouse of things to answer. So I said I would ask you. Um, if somebody gets married outside the church, yep, and then they find themselves in a position where they want to come back to Catholicism and or join the church or whatever, but I, I feel like it's probably more common if they want to come back, they left, come back, they're finding so much peace and receiving the Eucharist. And in our podcast, um, you had made it clear on the church's teachings with, um, if you were married outside the church and you're not in communion with the church, therefore Correct. you should not be receiving the Eucharist or cannot be receiving the Eucharist. And with some caveat, but yes. Okay. So, and that basically being devastating in itself and the, the remedy was to get your marriage blessed. Yep. But in this scenario that the spouse the non-Catholic one. The non-Catholic refuses yep. to get the marriage blessed in the Catholic church. What would you say? Like that is, that's gotta be heartbreaking. One, two, how do you kind of approach that in a conversation if someone comes to you and is like, I can't, and I'm eager and really heartbroken. I cannot receive anymore. And I had no idea. Yep. So <clears throat> a couple of things I want to say. One is, this is this happens not all the time, but it, but I've had a, a fair number of people who have been in that situation where they get they got married outside the church and then they some God calls them back to the church and their spouse won't have the marriage blessed in the church. They refuse to do it. I'm just like I I don't want to be too judgmental, but I feel like 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 the people I'm like, are you really going to deny your spouse that? We're not asking you to become Catholic. They just seems like jerks to me. And people are always saying, oh, Catholicism so judgmental. It's awful. I'm like, man, I don't, I feel like the shoe is on the other foot. Especially on that one. I yeah, just, that's tough. I just try, I just don't get it. We're not asking of that spouse a lot of things. Uh, usually, unless you're still like, you know, if you got married two years ago and you're 26, we might sit you down and do a little bit of marriage prep with you because we think it's good for you. But outside of that scenario, usually when this happens, it's people who have been married a significant amount of time. Usually it's very, very simple. Maybe one meeting with a priest and then you just have the marriage blessing. Yeah. So there's a, my first year in seminary, Father Chris Hellstrom ran the spirituality year and he had all these weird phrases. And so he was getting all worked up one time and he said, man, that really grinds my Skittles. And we were like, what in the H-E double hockey sticks does that mean? I'm sorry, sir. What did you just say? Yeah. Yeah. He says that really grinds my Skittles. So this one really <laughs> grinds my Skittles and I don't even know what that means. That's right. You know, you're in the seminary when that one gets laid in. Yeah. So, okay. But let's talk about this scenario. So there's two caveats, uh, or there's maybe just one caveat. The, the church and pastorally, there's a judgment call here for a priest in this scenario. So there's a possibility. So if your spouse, you're married outside the church, you have, God calls you back through his goodness and mercy. And uh, the um, spouse refuses to have the marriage blessed. Okay. 
this is a judgment call on part of the priest and also of the Catholic party, but actually they can receive communion if, but this is a big, big if, and it's a hard if. If the couple is very serious that they will abstain from marital relations, because because oh. the church almost sees marriage as not the same thing as sexuality, but sexuality. I get, a good way to say it is sexuality is a microcosm of what marriage is. And so the real issue is that if you're in an active sexual, ongoing sexual relationship with someone, that the church won't recognize that as a marriage. This is why it's different from other sins. Oh, whoa. So even if you have a sin that you're struggling to overcome, you, there's, there's a real intention. If you have a real intention that I'm going to repent of this sin and you really want to, even if you're not sure you can do it, you're, you desire to. Yeah. In a marriage, you're in a scenario where unless you kind of break that off or you see sexual activity within marriage, there, there's really no, the church doesn't see you as actually repentant. So that's why you, wow. that's why communion. I didn't see there. that coming. Yeah. So that's, that's a big caveat. So I've had that with couples before where they, they were in, we call it an irregular marriage. It, it's not, it hasn't been blessed by the church. And if they're in a place in life, sometimes it's because they're older or there's something, or they're just really repentant and they're not going to um, engage in that activity then they, they, they can receive communion then. Oh, okay. I feel like on so many different levels, the marriage blessing sounds like a better idea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> but uh, so, so what do you do though? And so I was telling Patrick this story. So Patrick's favorite poet, I almost said poem. Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss. <laughs> yes. So my favorite poet, uh, outside, I mean, I don't, when I say my favorite poet, that's like, it's like someone who has only been to one concert and is like my favorite concert. <laughs> that's right. So I haven't read a lot of poetry in my life, but I, a little bit, you know, I've read, uh, Homer and I've read Dante and then we've talked about it on the podcast before, but what a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. I don't know. No, uh, the, I think, wasn't it around like Christmas? I don't know. My, yeah, anyways. As I age, I lose sense of time. Time out. Dante is a poet? Yeah. Considered poet? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. He's also, you have to like Dante because he's basically Italian. considered the inventor of the Italian language. Yeah. Like the language is shifting at that time, but he's considered the first real Italian speaker in literature. That's my guy. Yeah. The listeners, Steph and I are trying to learn Italian right now. Yep. Interesting. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. As a, in the middle ages when he, uh, when it shifts into it, Italian becomes a distinct language. He's Whoa. right at that point. Okay. But anyway, yeah. so there's, so this poem, there's a poem called the portal of the mystery of hope, which I, it is so powerful and beautiful. It's amazing. I, I don't even know what's going through your head right now, but <laughs> it's, it's not a poem. This thing is over a hundred pages. Yeah, but there's, you know, it's not like full pages, but it's, it's phenomenal. I highly recommend it. And it's, uh, in that poem, uh, the author is a guy named Charles Piggy, a Frenchman, and he personifies faith, hope, and love as three sisters and hope is the youngest and it's just read it. It's amazing. But anyway, the reason we bring him up is because Charles Piggy, the author of this poem, uh, Balthazar says that the church in the modern world had surrendered poetry to pagans. So in, in all of Western civilization, the greatest poets are Catholics, including Dante is the greatest. Um, but Piggy reclaims poetry as a Catholic and it's, powerful stuff. So anyway, so Piggy's a Catholic. And so he was in this scenario. What happened to him was he, um, 
Guy was a, basically a socialist. He's living in France at the end of the 19th century. And he got, he left Catholicism for, if I understand it right, for two reasons. One is that he couldn't handle the idea of hell, which is a, a very intriguing question. I think, I think when, when you wrestle with that in a serious way, it's a very hard question. Yeah. Uh, so Piggy wrestled with that and he struggled with that. The other one was that he felt like the church in France, that Catholics were just bourgeois, high life kind of people who lived, you know, comfortable lives, but they didn't actually care about the poor. Mm. And the, the socialists did. And he was moved by that. So anyway, so Piggy leaves the church. He doesn't practice for, uh, I don't know how long, but a, a significant period of time. And in that time, he marries. And I believe he had two children. And uh, they get married outside the church. And then he has this massive conversion back to the church. He, he's wrestling with these things. And he realizes that socialism is incapable of answering. And, the, and if you know anyone out there like this, or if you're wrestling with these things, Piggy is like one of those Catholics I love. I don't, I kind of love the Catholics who are bad Catholics. Not in the sense that they just were jerks or something, but in the sense that they, they wrestled and they struggled to live it rightly. And Piggy was like that. And I love him. Um, Another one would be, uh, I'm going to forget his name now, the guy who wrote The Power and the Glory uh, and the end of the, Graham Greene. So Graham Greene called himself an atheist Catholic. And he wow. wrestled with his faith his whole life. But that's another story. I'm getting off topic. But Piggy, he comes back because he realizes that socialism and the modern world and the modern ideas about what life is about don't satisfy that they, 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 they are incapable. And if you're out there struggling with your faith, this is a big point. The modern ideas of life are oftentimes not articulated very precisely in the culture. They cannot answer the question of transcendence of your soul, of the desire for something greater and of ultimate human fulfillment. And Piggy knew that. He recognized that. He's like, socialism is only concerned with this world. It's concerned with just material things. Do I have enough food on my, on my plate? Which is important. Uh, can, I, can I live a decent life with a decent standard of living? Great question. That's, those are important things that we should care about. But man is so much more than that. And Piggy realized that. And just through living his life, he's like, I can't be merely this because obviously man is made for something so much more than a decent house and a, yeah, you know, enough food to get by. Okay. So he comes back to the church. His wife refuses to have their marriage blessed. Absolutely refuses. So tough. Reminds me of Steph. That's right. That's right. You know, no, just kidding. <laughs> but she refuses and it's a tragic story, but it's beautiful. And this is, this is a long intro to what I want to say to people out there. If you're in this situation is oftentimes we think, um, so, so what, what happened to Piggy is he has a radical conversion to the church. His poetry is infused with Catholic imagery. He talked to one of my favorite images from him. He talks about tradition, the handing on of, of the faith. And he talks about how, when you go to the baptism or the holy water font in church, you dip your finger in and you put it on the person's fingers next to yours because they can't reach. And then they give it to the person next to them. And he talks about that as an image for tradition, which I thought was kind of a cool image. Oh, and he says, he says, we hand on the faith to our children the way we hand on holy water from finger to finger. Is that a thing? Handing on holy oh, yeah. water? You never done that? No. You don't have to. Never really, seen that. Oh yeah. I used to, yeah. I'm like, people be dipping their finger in. I'm like, give me some of that. Really? Hook a brother up. I'm always yeah. like, get out of my way. I need it in there. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of that. That's awesome. Okay. But so Piggy, so he just, so he lives a faithful Catholic life. He comes back to the church. He does mass every Sunday. He falls in love with the, with, with the splendor of the church. Um, <clears throat> and World War I breaks out and he's one of the, f I forget where the first battle was, but I want to say like the Marne, but I forget. 
But anyway, in one of the first battles of World War I, Piggy is shot right in the heart. Gosh. Perfect for a melancholic poet. Yeah, seriously. But he was one of the first people to die in World War I. And so Piggy dies without ever being able to receive communion once he returned to the church. So he went to mass every Sunday, faithfully worshiped God, loved him. And he bore the consequence of, uh, in love that his wife refused to have their marriage blessed. And I think there's something super beautiful about this. We live, I think as modern men and women, and especially as Americans, we have this kind of belief that we should get anything we want. And you're not supposed to get everything you want. And I know that's hard. And sometimes there, there are more serious things that we don't get that we want. But what's so beautiful, so Peggy never receives. And I will tell you, you know, at Lourdes or at St. Louis, sometimes there's people who don't receive communion. And they're always nervous that people are going to think I'm a bad Catholic. Mm. And I don't know what other people think. But I think those, I have people who come to Mass every Sunday and don't receive. And I oftentimes think those are probably the best Catholics at my parish. Because all of us are sinners. Yeah. They come anyways to worship God, which is why we we don't go to mass to get something primarily. We go to mass to worship God. Thomas Aquinas teaches that. When you love someone, right? And you say, hey, why do you love your wife? You say, oh, because I get this out of it. Well, something's wrong. The person who really loves their spouse, you say, why do you love your spouse? You're like, well, because look at my spouse. They're the most amazing person ever. And you just love your spouse. If you love God, you go to mass not to get something out of it, but to worship God. Um. So these people come, they don't receive communion. And I look at them and I'm like, wow, that's a really faithful Catholic. Um, one last thing I'll just tell you, which is beautiful. Is it God? I think God, God calls us to, into the struggle. He calls us to the desert. Um, he doesn't call us to a comfortable life. You know, you, all of you on the podcast, you know, for me, like, like, Celibacy is not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some, oh, I wish I could remember where I, that, which book this is from, but uh, there's some book out there that talks about how, oh no, it's in the book of um, Wisdom, the book of Wisdom in the Bible. Uh, it talks about how the fruit of difficult struggles is a, like a noble life and a crown of righteousness. Um, and like, like my struggle with celibacy, which is a hard struggle for me. It's a good struggle for me. Yeah. And so anyway, so Piggy, I'll, sorry, I'm going way too long. Piggy dies. And, but after his death, his wife converts and she comes into the church and their, ch- their children are baptized, which was his greatest hope. Oh. Man, did he ever reference in going through that when he was alive? struggling with that concept yeah, of not being able to receive like you are there and like that desire. Um, cause it's gotta be, you know, I'm sure he did living in hope. I haven't read enough of his stuff yet. I've read yeah. two of his poems. So the portal of the mystery of hope. Uh, and then there's another one called the, the mystery of the charity of Joan of Arc that I read, which was beautiful. I didn't like it as much as the portal of the mystery of hope, but it was still very, very good. Wow. Okay, so it's, um, I mean, I think that's a phenomenal testimony in trying to just kind of navigate that um, if you're in that situation. And Catholics, right? The modern world, like, like this part of faith is like, you have to surrender yourself. You don't get to control everything. And again, modern America, we just think there's a, who is it that says that? When I, someone I know, I'm getting old, I'm forgetting everything. <laughs> But someone I know always says, this isn't Burger King. You don't get it your way. I have never heard that. Yeah. I don't know who that is. This <laughs> isn't Burger funny. King. You don't get it your way. But we're, we're used to, as modern men and women, we just, everything needs to bend to us. I had a, at, at the wedding we were at in, uh, in Mexico, you know, a very nice guy came and talked to me and he was not a Christian. And he said, your, your words at the wedding were super welcoming. I felt super welcomed. But my, he said, you know, my wife is a Christian and she was super offended that she couldn't receive communion. And we, we have trained people in the United States, you get Christianity your way. Yeah. 
Yep. You know, you get, to, hey, you, you want to be a Catholic? You get Catholicism your way. No, you don't. Like, stop being a spoiled brat. Jesus is God. You're not. And suffering creates greatness. It creates great people. It humbles us. It makes us more patient. And Charles Piggy knew that. So if you're in that situation out there, you know, you pray. I'm sure you already are. Pray every day for your spouse, for their heart to soften, but also receive the difficulty as a grace from God. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, God, like I, I left you. I don't deserve your mercy, which none of us do. And this is really hard for me. And I don't feel good about this, but I love you more than I love my own comfort. And I'll bear this with the best amount of grace and patience that I'm capable of. Gosh, that just reminded me the day I was asked this question that morning, I had watched a, uh, Bishop Barron video and he was talking about, um, Catholicism versus, um, stoicism. Yeah. And he had a line in there though, that he's like, when you're facing, facing challenging times and or challenging people, instead of holding, um, anger or resentment, think to yourself, this is a way, this is a challenge to sanctify myself. Yep. Which kind of like, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of the same thing as far as like every struggle you have does create on the other side a chance and got, you know, through this journey. St. Jose Maria Scriva has a one-liner like that where he says, don't say this person irritates me or annoys me. Say this person sanctifies me. Yeah. And you sanctify so, me a lot. That's right. You grind my <laughs> Skittles so much. And that grinds my um, Skittles. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. I love it. I do want to get to the, uh, the bomb, the nuke you dropped last week. But really quick, as you're uh, circling back, there was one thing you said right there. And I am going to throw myself on this sword primarily because I wonder... I feel like it has to happen. I'm not the only person in the world that's ever done this. I'm not, I am scared to even say this. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, where are you going? I'm, I'm like really not intrigued. happy to admit it. But in the example where you were saying like, when somebody comes up and doesn't receive, right? Because they've sinned or whatever, and they yeah. know it's time for confession. That's one thing. And that's so powerful. Yep. But there has been a time where I was walking up there, I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm walking up and I'm like, I am not going to receive. I know better. I know not to. And I look over and somebody towards the front pew, I know, and is watching me. I panic and I receive. Yep. Okay. Again, lesson learned, talked about all the above. But as you were kind of saying that though, I was like, man, did that almost, it went from like a sin that I knew about as you were saying, I was like, oh, then it even, and I'm thinking of Dante's purgatory. It became about ego. Yeah. Right. Isn't that. Which now I just yeah. moved down. Now I'm at the base of the mountain. Oh man. Like I need, could have been higher. <laughs> My journey just quadrupled. You need to read some poetry. Gosh. Yeah. Maybe that's, that's what you'll be doing on Mount Purgatory. That's right. You'll be reading poetry. <laughs> just long books of poetry. Anyways, I, yeah, as you were saying, I was like, wow, that's really actually kind of crushed me. Um, we, and we don't become who we're supposed to become without suffering. Right. It just in this world, <clears throat> I wish it were otherwise, but it seems to be the case that you can't become a complete human being if you don't suffer. There's a Jose Maria Escriva. If you ever, um, you ever want like a modern book of Proverbs that like can inspire you, he has a little book called The Way. And excuse me, I've got some hiccups. Hiccups. <laughs> anyway, but Jose Maria Scriba has a little book called The Way. And his, uh, his community, the Opus Dei, took a lot of his writings and they organized one liners by topic. And it's super inspiring. Wow. But he has one line in there where he says, he says, be more concerned about your character than your reputation. Mm. Your character is who you really are. Your reputation is what other people think you are. Gosh. Isn't that, I mean, it's so simple. We all know that. I remember saying that to, I had someone in my office a couple of years ago who was asking about a certain situation. Wow. And I just quoted that line to him. 
Be more concerned about your character than your reputation. Your character is who you actually are. Your reputation is what people think you are. And we, that's, it's, it takes courage to do that. Yeah. And so we're receiving communion. And I, like, very honestly, I tell the RCIA this all the time, every year at least. Wait, if you can't receive communion, everything's, every, you know, you're so worried everybody's going to wonder what you did. Yep. I don't know what other people think. What I think is there's a real Catholic. Right, right. There's someone who's obedient to the teachings of Jesus Christ and his church. And the other thing is, we all know this, we're all running around faking each other out. Yep. They were all perfect. The, hard, and the hardest Catholics for me are not Catholics who are struggling with some type of sin. It's the Catholics who just think, you know, they're kind of curmudgeon and crusty. Yep. And they think they've got it all together. Gosh, they drive me crazy. This, and we are, when this comes out, I think we're a couple days away. Uh, April 13th, Father Stu comes out. And it reminds me a lot of that. I uh, read, right as I said, I just got chills. Like, yeah. I am so excited for you to see that. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see it. Too. I thought it was just so real. And to your point in that. Um, okay. So here we go. So here we go. <laughs> yeah. You look the, a little too happy today. The abbreviated, I, cause I have just been laughing for the, the last week after our podcast of just, again, this just, Right hook you threw at me at the very, literally it was the last minute and a half. And we were talking about, can you attend a wedding of a couple? Um, Married outside the church. That's right. And, and on a beach or wherever. Um, yep. And we established that point. But then at the very end, you said there, I'm paraphrasing or correct me if I'm wrong. There isn't a direct teaching from the church on this, but the church's stance is much different. And basically why you had just said, the church has a much different stance on, can you attend a gay wedding? Yeah. And that was just a absolute earthquake in the conversation. And so I am one, I'm genuinely um, curious as to where that stands, but yeah. two, um, I just loved it. That was one of my favorite things you've done. People like controversy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They do. It, well, I mean, I think you see that. I mean, like some of the top shows on TV are like Real Housewives of Insert Your City. And it's just, it's all Real fake. Housewives of Lords. That's right. We should, gosh, it, The Office and The Parish and Real Housewives of Lords. Um, but people love it. Yeah. So I am, people I am curious it. on this and, and coming from a place of love, like again, how do you navigate that? What would you say? So I think, so th think of it this way. So one of my big principles in life, especially as a Catholic is, so the people who are closest to you are the ones who rub you, right? Mm -hmm. You fight the most with your family. So within the family of people kind of surrounding me, they tend to be people who love the Catholic church and who are really trying to follow Jesus. So we're family, we love each other, and I do love them, but they drive me crazy. Yeah. And one of the things that drives me crazy is there's a certain tendency in good Catholics to see evil in the world. So they look out, some of them, and this is a caricature. Mm-hmm. But some Catholics, I get the sense that they, they look out and just everything's bad. If you're not Catholic, it's just all darkness. It's all evil. There's a, um, one of the modern uh, proponents of the revival of classical education. I am, my brain is not working today. I'm going to forget his name too. He wrote a book called The Death of Christian Culture. And he was, in my personal opinion, he was kind of like this. I read that book. John O'Brien got it for me. I've, I don't usually get angry at books. I got, and this guy was a good Catholic. I threw that book against the wall. Really? I've never done that before. Yeah. I threw it against the wall because uh, it seemed so incredibly negative about anything that wasn't explicitly Catholic. Mm. So anyway, so, so this is a bit of a preface to where I want to go with this. But... I think, I think a, a, in my mind, a good Catholic, you've got to see the good in the world before you can critique it. 
Yeah. And so it's, it is simply not the case that everything in the world is evil. That's not Catholic or Christian. The church doesn't believe this. And some of you out there might think, well, that's, oh, that's wishy-washy Vatican too. This is St. Justin Martyr in the second century. It's also the biblical teaching that is divine revelation. God created the world good. Yes, sin is real. You go off the deep end the other end and say, oh, everything's great. Don't worry about it. No, yeah. I mean, there's, there, you have to affirm the evil too. Um, so Catholics, what they do, and this is why I think our first stance before, like anyone you ever meet, if you tell someone, if the first thing you see in a person is just, they're all, they're all evil. Good luck bringing that person to Jesus. Yeah. Good luck. You've got to see the good. Even in, even in people that have a lot of bad stuff in them, you have to be able to see some good. Um, and that's how the catechism is outlined, right? Like it starts with love, then it goes to the rules. Yeah, so all Paul's letters kind of work that way, and the biblical story does. So the, the catechism has four pillars. It, the first one's the creed. But essentially, it's what it shows. This is what God has done from all of eternity and history. And so it's the story first. And then the second pillar is the sacraments. Hmm. And what the sacraments do is they make, uh, they bring us into the story. Got it. Then the third pillar is morality. Okay. So you can't, the, the church really believes you can't really live a Christian morality just on your own. Like first God loves us. You know, you can live a natural morality, right? We all know that there's, there's very moral people who are not Christians. Um, but, but a Christian morality comes from the story. It comes from like the story of the prodigal son or this past weekend, the gospel was John chapter eight uh, with the woman caught in adultery. And <clears throat> so on a natural level, we, we could think through things and come to the conclusion, hey, don't commit adultery. Um, although our culture today doesn't really have a solid reason to say that's bad, but that's another story. But in John chapter eight, the, the Christian story of morality is that this woman encountered the mercy of God. And what transformed her was not, hey, you know better. Yeah. Or here's punishment. It was, it was love that transformed her. And once you've been loved in that way, Jesus finishes that parable, or not the parable, but that encounter. And he says, woman, uh, has anyone condemned you? She says, no, sir, no one. And Jesus says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And when you've encountered love, mm. it changes you. It's, it's, I mean, I think, do you think of the prodigal son, right? After he comes back to his father's house, what, what I imagine he lived an, an amazing life after that, uh, which is a parable, but, uh, but someone in that situation would live an amazing life, not because, you know, now they've, they got the slap on the wrist and they, did their philosophy and they thought through proper morality. It's because they were loved when they didn't deserve it. They were forgiven when they didn't deserve it. That's Christian morality. So, so yeah, so that's the way the catechism. Got it. Okay. So can I go to the wedding? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, yeah, itching. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so here's the deal. So, so we should see the good in the world. And so here's why I think there's a distinction. Between marriage, like outside the church, between a man and a woman. Yep. Okay. And then a gay, a gay marriage. Same sex marriage. Same sex marriage, which is, which is an impossibility by the way. Um, but the, uh, in a marriage outside the church. So what they've denied is they've denied something that's of the realm of grace. And honestly, it's one of the harder things for people to understand. Why do I have to be married inside the church? Yeah. And I think we talked about that last time. Yep. That's a little harder. It's not, it's not clear from our nature. And this is the distinction. So, so a marriage outside the church, it's a serious thing. I mean, that Catholic is really stepping away from the faith. Yep. They might not know it like we talked about last time, but in, in a same sex marriage, we are not just denying a church teaching and teaching of, of God. We're denying reality itself. 
And so this is not just, hey, you have faith, I don't. This is like, there's nothing, and our culture can play all the games at once. This is absurd. Our, our culture has redefined the nature of sexuality, the nature of marriage, and they have, they have hollowed out the, base, the most basic of all human institutions. And so if you go into a gay marriage then, and we got to remember, actions speak louder than words. They just do. And like it or not, your presence at a wedding of two people of the same sex will be interpreted as endorsement. And uh, you can't do it. It's, and so that's the basic distinction is that it's a sin against not just supernatural teaching, but against natural reality itself. Uh, this literally undermines um, nature itself. St. Paul, you know, I don't, I don't know if we want to get into this or not, Patrick, you direct things, but in, in Romans chapter one, St. Paul talks about how um, homosexuality, he really ties it to idolatry, which is a very Jewish idea. Um, the, I've said it before, I think N.T. Wright says this best. He says, for the Jewish mind and for our minds, we should think this way too, uh, idolatry and adultery are, are twin sisters. <sighs> so idolatry and, and not just adultery, but um, sexual perversion, sexual immorality, we could say. And so not just in, in gay kind of unions, but in um, all the different kind of sexual problems we have in the world today, they're actually a sign of our, our idolatry that we worship false gods. Um, because in the Bible, worship of God is, is something that's nuptial. It's analogous to marriage. And so the book of wisdom tells us that the making of idols or, um, was the beginning of adultery. Whoa. Yeah. And Paul plays on this in Romans 1. Can, do you want to hear this or no? Yeah, I do. So <clears throat> I don't usually, by the way, if you're out there, if you're struggling with same-sex attraction, that's okay. We, we always have to make this nuance because we want people to have the right nuances. Yeah. Having this attraction to people of the same sex as you is not a sin. It's something that maybe isn't completely um, functioning rightly within you, but that, that's not a sin. It's not that you've done something wrong. You are loved by God. You belong in the church. You don't have to go to confession and say, I'm attracted to, if you're a guy, then I'm also attracted to men. You don't have to confess that. That's not a sin. We all have desires. It's what we do with them. Yeah. I have disordered desires. That makes desires, it a sin. Right? I have, I have disordered lust inside of me. For, you know, I'm, I'm hetero, so I'm attracted to women and more than I would like to be. Yeah. And, but, but, that's not a sin in and of itself. It might be a disordered. My desires might be a little disordered and pushed in the wrong direction sexually. But a sin comes in is when I make a decision and I act on it. That's where sin comes in. Okay. So I would never usually rate, read this to people. So we, if you're out there, this is not a club to beat people with. Yeah. But it's important for us to reflect on the ways when we worship false gods that our sexual behaviors become skewed. So, uh, Romans one nineteen, Paul's talking here about kind of wicked human beings. He says, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So Paul is saying non-Jews, non-Christians, the world clearly, there's a God. It's just, it's clear. So they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Do you know what the word for give thanks is? Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> it's Eucharist. God dang it. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. So, uh, my so they did not man. give Eucharist to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Isn't this interesting? I know all of us could think of examples today where really smart people, where their thinking goes askew. 
It was mm-hmm. sideways. And they, they start justifying really strange things. Yeah. Uh, for although they did, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened. Sin darkens our minds. Yep. It's actually when, when people sometimes are thinking strangely and you, you feel judgment towards them, it's not sometimes willful. It's just that they've, because of their sin sometimes, and again, be careful with this. We can't just say, oh, you're a sinner, so you're not seeing straight. That's the wrong message. Approach. But sin darkens our minds. Yep. So their senseless minds were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men or birds or animals or reptiles. That's what we call idolatry, false worship. Right? So they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, right? Uh, The Greek word there is icon, but Paul's talking about idols here. So verse 24, and here's the, where it comes to it. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And here's the the really key line, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Um, it goes on from there. So this does not mean, so uh, there's so many nuances. It's always hard to yeah. really talk about such a hot topic. If you're someone out there, if you have attraction for people of the same sex, this does not mean that you like committed some serious sin. And so therefore something was messed up in you. It doesn't mean that. What it does mean, I, I do think this is that in general, as society worships false things other than God's, sexual perversion in general spreads through society. And by the way, and I just want to say this, I think that has affected me. I'm not, so I'm not pointing fingers here and saying, oh, you terrible people who have same-sex attraction. Right. I think this is all of us. But there's a difference between saying something's wrong, you know, and like uh, my sexual desires, you know, they're, they're strong. And like, um, I wish that I had them under greater control, you know, and I thought, I wish my thoughts were, were something that I had down a little bit better. And my wandering eye, when I see an attractive woman, that's a little different from saying I affirm something that's clearly against nature. Yeah. Okay, so I've just talked for like 20 minutes, but does that make sense at least? It does. Um, is, that this, is it the same teaching in regards to attending a um, pride parade? Yeah, I think so because... So like the actions... I actually, think, I, I actually think attending a pride parade is worse. Because if you, if you attend a, a gay wedding, probably there's someone there who you really love. Yeah. Gay pride is about a political movement to normalize and celebrate glorify. Yeah. and glorify something that is against human. It's again, it, right. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. And if you're listening to this, you probably know the arguments, but once you start saying that you, that married love, and this is the core of the church's teaching on this. This isn't just, you don't have to be a Christian to see this. This is just someone who says, anyone who says the way the world works matters, which should be all of us, atheists, Jews, Muslims, Christians, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The way the world is, is meaningful. Doesn't mean we can't, you know, alter certain things. That's a longer discussion. But the nature of the world, right? And this is natural law theory, which you don't need a PhD to understand natural law theory. Natural law theory, we've talked about before in the podcast, just means that things in and of themselves, the way they are made, you don't have to believe in God even, but it's a nature. <clears throat> the way things are tells us how we're to use them. Marriage and sexuality, very clearly, very obviously, marriage and sexuality is very clearly about a man and a woman 
and the fact that only a man and a woman can create life. Yep. And that's, that's not like, oh, I read Leviticus 17, which is about animal from blood or blood from animals, but that's not about this. But you're like, I read Romans chapter one. And so therefore, you know, gay marriage is wrong. That's not what this is about. It's about like the same way that I can tell that a plant needs water. You can tell that sexuality very obviously is meant to be a man and a woman and the creation of new life. Obviously. It has to be rocket science. This is not rocket science to figure this out. And so I don't even know how I got on that. Yeah. But, but the modern world, so what we're doing, so with the, <laughs> and we decided that marriage, and this is the gay pride, like if you go to a parade, we decided that marriage isn't about that. Right. We decided that marriage is about strong feelings. And it's just not, that's just unintelligent. If in, in the, I think we've done this podcast before, but if you, if you think marriage is about strong feelings, there's no reason it has to be between two human beings. Right. If the basis of it is strong emotions, then I can marry my dog. I can have, I mean, you and I have a friend in this office who has very strong feelings for her dog. Not in that <laughs> way, but <laughs> she loves her dog. Yep. If it's just about intense emotional experiences, why is it? And then also why does it have to be with one person? Yeah. There's no reason I can have, I have intense emotional experiences and love for a lot of people. There's, there's no reason it should be monogamous. There's no reason it has to be with another human being. There's also no reason it needs to be permanent because if those feelings go away and this, this, you know, we've been through this, but this is the arguments that the pro gay movement used is that love is love. Yeah. And they, they tried to, it's very ironic because people always say the Catholic church is so against sex. And the church is the, the one that was arguing, actually, you know, marriage actually is all about sex. Yep. And sex has a nature. It has a way it works. And you can't just like make it up out of thin air. Uh, the reason marriage is different from other relationships in our lives is because of sex. That's why it's different. It's the only reason it's different. Otherwise, it's just a friendship. Gosh. And then it becomes, this, I mean, the slippery slope now and kind of the, it almost feels like same sex movement is kind of on the back burner compared to picking your gender now. Well, cause they won. Right. It's a, it's they won. It. They, that's, I mean, the only front they haven't won is they haven't yet forced people like me to adopt their worldview. You know, they haven't, they haven't yet gotten to a place where they've made like Catholic priests perform same sex marriages. Yeah. What about if I came to you and I said, um, I won't even use the name, but the example, the swimmer out of Penn state, yes, um, who was a male on the team on the, the male swim team and now is swimming on the female swim team. Yeah. Would you have an issue with, uh, if I came to you and said, um, Penn state's playing whatever, where they're swimming against, see, I don't even know who has a swim team out here. See, and I'm going to go, su- I'm going to go support her. Um, wouldn't that kind of, I mean, is that someone along the same lines too? Cause you're yeah. the actions and the, I don't think it's as serious because, right. because the, when you go to a wedding, right? Like, so, so the, it is a, yeah, the Second, act, yeah. you're, you're, you are condoning an act. And the, the problem with gay marriage, right? Is the action. I mean, there's also problems when we just lie about reality. Right. Right. And we're that, which obviously relates to the transgender issue. Um, so one of the great, um, oh, I should just say this, but with, with a gay marriage, right? No one, no one wants to say the quiet part, but what we want to do is what, what the gay marriage movement wants to do is normalize the activities of same sex marriages. Yeah. And if you, I don't want it, we're not going to go and get gritty into this, but it's just what that is. It's a simulation. It's clearly a simulation of the way the sexual act is supposed to happen. And all the other, we could talk about all the other sexual issues the church thinks are sinful, but if you, all the other ones that are just, there's not too many of them, but the ones we think of commonly that the church thinks of as sins, what they're doing is they're taking the action of a, of a married couple, a man and a woman, and in their marital embrace, it's a nice way of saying it, in their marital embrace, uh, you take that action, every other thing the church is against is 
imitating that act, but distorting it. Okay. Yep. So, but, it, but back to the swimmer. So I don't think we should lie to people. And, you know, you can, you can be nice. To, I think, I think one of the problems we run into is like, I think the culture lies about this and they say, uh, Father John said this on the marriage retreat. He said, one of the great dogmas of postmodernism is that um, you can't disagree with someone and also love them. Yeah. Yeah, you can. In fact, that's, sometimes that's the only way to love someone. And so with, these, with like a transgender athlete, like it's a little tricky. I think you could go to that meet. It's, do you call them by, like if they come up to you and they, if I came up to you tomorrow and I said, my name is Brianna, Right, this is a great Catholic question. They say, "Do you call me Brianna, or do you just say, oh, that's nice, Brian?'" I, I don't mean to laugh. I'm gonna look at you all day. Yeah, totally, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Oh, oh. And that's a harder oh. question, I think, because it's not as serious of a an action you're condoning. But I do, I do think in general, like it's a tough tension on that one of like, don't be a jerk, but also like. Hold firm in the truth. Don't lie to somebody. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. help them to lie to them. And I think Jordan Peterson was very, he was interesting on this, on where's, where's the line in the sand, where his, you know, his whole thing that made him famous was, he always said if, if a transgender student came to them and said, if I came to him and said, my name is Brianna, I probably shouldn't have said, made that example. I'm just opening myself up here. But if I did that, he always said, well, he, he's not going to be a jerk about it. And he'd be like, I'll call you whatever you want me to call you. But what his problem was, was then the, the government of Canada was then compelling speech and making yeah. it a crime if you didn't do that. And that was the line in the sand for him was, no, no, no. The government doesn't get to tell you that you must say certain things. Uh, so it's, it's just interesting right now. Like, and the, the world right now lies to us and it, it wants to tell us like you can make anything out of anything. Yeah. And Catholics believe along with anyone who follows Aristotle and most people in all of human history without maybe even knowing who Aristotle is, they know that, you know what? Like a tree has a nature. If you want that tree to flourish, you don't um, spray it with gasoline. It has a nature. It works a certain way. Sexuality has a nature. It works a certain way. You can't just make it up and redefine it. And that's, that's the crux of the Catholic argument. Uh, yeah. Whole nother podcast someday. I mean, I could not disagree more with um, transgender sport scenario. Yeah. That's, that it's, is, ugh. Isn't it interesting though? I think like I saw Ben Shapiro with Neil deGrasse Tyson. I didn't see their whole interview. This is probably six months ago. And they, <clears throat> he was asking about transgenderism and Neil deGrasse Tyson said he was, it seems like he was really supportive of transgender things, which is so interesting because he's a scientist. Yeah. And his, his thing was, what's the harm except for sports? He said, sports is the only reason you should ever care outside of that. Who cares? And and at the end of the day, I just, I, could, I couldn't, it, I, that was a great example to me of a brilliant man whose who's thinking has become darkened. Yeah. Like that somehow we could divorce a person's soul from their body and that that's fine. Even, you know, there's a second question about, you know, what should the government allow? I think that's a second question. Right. And I think you could answer that in a way where you could say, well, at a certain age, the government, you know, you could be a um, uh, kind of a libertarian and say the government shouldn't be involved in most human decisions, let people do what they want to do. I'm less and less that way as time passes, but you could take that position. Um, but that's a separate position from, is it good? Right? Yeah. It's kind of like, like, like one more example of this. I'm all over the board today, but most of us agree that adultery is not good. Yeah. Uh, most of us probably would also say it shouldn't be prosecuted by the government. 
So there are two separate questions. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. So where do we go from here? Are you going to go? <laughs> are you going to go to the wedding? <laughs> I think it is tough. I think where you had said that with, uh, and, and when I heard Father John say that, it is, I mean, even attending a, a wedding outside of the church, it is that balance of loving somebody and also holding firm in the truth of it. And especially if you are walking with somebody that um, is struggling with that and, and you really do love them and then they reach that point of like, okay, well, I'm now living it. I love this person, this and that. Like to say, no, you're not attending. And, yeah. and here's the reason why. And, and part of being a mature human being, you're going to be misunderstood. If you're, yeah. uh, if you're in this scenario, like I, I've, I, not on this issue on, there's a different issue I'm thinking of. There are people in the church who I deal with sometimes, but they tell me if I don't let them do certain things that I hate them. Right. And I'm like, really just grow up. I don't hate you. And it's like, I'm kind of like, are you really going to pull that card? I'm like, you're like, you're like an eight year old. Yeah. Mom, you won't let me go spend the night at so-and-so's house. You hate me. You're the worst mom ever. I'm like, grow up. And I, but that's what they do to you. Like in the culture right now, if you, don't, if you don't support someone's bad decisions or immoral decisions, it's because you hate them. It's like, yeah. grow up. But that's the world we live in. And sometimes we've got to be willing as Christians to suffer those consequences. Gosh, well, I do. I mean, you definitely... I felt like rocked us all, especially people I talked to in the last little cliffhanger. But it, it does make sense to me from the standpoint of like how it escalates to a new level when you do talk about attending the, you know, same sex marriage. And we're all, we're all just lying to each other. And, yeah. and I know it hurts. And I know like I've, again, I encounter people with same sex attraction, not all the time, but on a somewhat regular basis. And I understand the pressure to, to, to want to comfort them. I want to comfort them too. And that's good. We should want to comfort them, but not with a lie. Yeah. Not with a lie that, that using sexuality in whatever way you want is the same as any other way. It's not true. That's a lie. It's a biological lie. It's a philosophical lie. It's a religious lie. And lies are not good for human beings and you shouldn't tell them. Yeah. Good for them. I mean, in that example, I have no idea who or how many or any of that, but but if somebody does come to talk to you about it, yeah. like good for them. Amen. It takes courage. Yeah. I'm really proud of those people. And uh, they've got a cross that I don't have. That's right. I have a cross that some people don't have. I'm not, you know, my, my celibacy is a cross for me. It's a gift too. There's, I mean, a lot of days it's a, it's a powerful, amazing gift, but it's a cross as well. Yeah. And I don't have that cross that those people have, but I love it when they have the courage to say, you know, FB is a Catholic priest kind of know what he's going to think about this, but I know that I can talk to him. That's right. And I love that. And to not live in the isolation of it. I think with right. any sin, but you yep. know, especially in that scenario of like being able to open up about it. And I don't yep. know if it changes and like takes the weight off to where it no longer affects you. Like I feel like some desires where it's like in, you're in your head, you're going down that dark path and then you kind of air it out and you're like, Oh, what was I doing? Yeah. Like, you know, instead of just going down this rabbit hole, but so much courage to come to a priest or come to you and, and open up about that. Yeah. So maybe just a shout out to all those folks. If, yeah, you're, at the, if you're listening today, if you struggle with same sex attraction, we love you. God loves you. We're praying for you. Uh, you belong in the church. You've got a cross. Uh, <clears throat> and kudos to you for wrestling with that. Uh, for striving, I hope you're striving, but for striving to not listen to the lies of the culture and to be called to greatness, to overcome something that, that was given to you that you didn't choose. And, <coughs> excuse me, but we're, we're praying for you. We're last thing, you. I know we're over time, but last question here is I, we're wrapping up. If somebody came to me with you and know, saying they're struggling with same-sex attraction, and then they're not acting on it, does the church have a stance on, is it worse to um, have the, I mean, not necessarily worse. I don't think that's right. I was saying it, but what if somebody then in an attempt to avoid those temptations or what, I mean, they wouldn't necessarily avoid it, but 
still marries a female, um, although it's, but in their heart, they know it's not real. You don't want to do that okay. <clears throat> because that's not fair to her. She's right. a person yeah. to him. If you're a female, it's not, that's not fair, right? Like love, love is about the other. It's not about assuaging your difficulties. Yeah. It's not about, it's not about you. It, it has to be about the other person. And so I've, I've run into that scenario before. And I've, I've honestly, I've had people before who have confessed over my 10 years as a priest that they were, they had same sex attraction, but they married someone of the opposite sex. And beautifully, I, I remember there was, a, there's been a couple of confessions that I've heard where people have been deeply sorrowful for that. They made that choice because they know yeah. they caused their spouse to suffer tremendously. Oh, any other cliffhangers for us? <laughs> Any other bombs you want to drop? Yeah, right. Fun stuff. Wow. Okay. Rant at lordsdenver.org. Okay, we bye. love the questions. We appreciate it. We will, uh, ooh, we have a surprise for you guys next week. As of right now, it's on the calendar. Stay tuned. Maybe a little collaboration. First one ever with another podcast. And no, it is not Joe Rogan or Ben Shapiro. But way just to, as way, good. Way to not give it away. <laughs> All right. See ya.